Warning, the following podcast may contain strong language, unusual humor, emotional content, and a good cup of tea. Basically, all the good stuff. Listener's discretion is advised. The weird thing for me was everyone's completely naked. So they'll never tell you outright that you're doing something wrong, but you know you are. I think it's also quite racially divided. Like, it's not as simple a question as foreigners, but where are the foreigners from? Welcome to Almost Diaspora. I'm Myra Nubi. And today we are looking at living in a place that doesn't quite feel, look, or behave like home. I'm sitting downstairs in our living room and Sandra's upstairs, I think, reading her book. We're, uh, yeah, we're having a good day because Sandra got a, like a new bird feeder. She's suddenly got into bird feeding this lockdown. So picking different types of seeds and hanging them up in the garden and then having something to watch while you're locked down. So you can sit and have your breakfast and watch all the birds come and feast on the seeds. I first met Luke with my husband back in Kisumu. It's a beautiful city right by the Great Lake Victoria in Kenya. We had all been invited to an afternoon brunch by a lovely German couple. At the time, Luke was hovering around the table with his grub and we all immediately developed a connection. Luke, my husband, Sandra and myself have continued to be great friends ever since. This is so interesting because, um, of course, I'm homeschooling. And one of the things I had to do is stand outside with my five and three-year-old and look for birds and take pictures of them. And this is something I would never have done in Kenya. But yeah. um, I'm now so interested in just kind of looking outside in the morning and looking for birds. Yeah, it's something I find really weird as well, because in the UK, bird watching is kind of like a thing. Like, I don't think it's as big a thing in Kenya, but in the UK, there's quite a few people who are like really serious about it. And, you know, I was kind of into bird watching. And then when I came to Kenya, I was like, there's so many amazing birds there, like brightly colored, massive, crazy birds. Um, And, you know, for me, the UK birds are not so exciting. And for Sandra, it's almost the opposite. So she was never like looking at birds too much in Kenya, but now we've suddenly got the to me, boring UK birds, and she's getting like really into it. Well, bird watching is not the only thing that we now have in common. Identity is at the core of a person. It defines their social and moral behaviors. People who identify with one homeland but live outside it maintain links in different ways through religion, history, language, and culture. But Living in a foreign place can also have far-reaching effects on people's personalities and their cultural identity. Having lived in two other countries before, I was keen to find out more about Luke's experiences. Hopefully, what he shares today can help us learn a thing or two about living in a different country 
but with a completely different culture. I just finished at university, so I was, I think, 21. And I was looking for a job that would let me do science, because I'm a, a scientist, um, but also travel somewhere completely new. And as part of that, I kind of randomly emailed uh, this lady professor who worked in Japan. And, you know, I'd always really wanted to go to Japan. I'd done judo a lot as a kid. So, you know, I'd been learning about the culture and taking part in this martial art. And then there was this opportunity to go and visit the homeland. And yeah, I was really, really surprised. Basically, she just emailed back being like, yeah, send me a CV and I'll interview you. And really quickly, she was like, sure, I'll give you a job. And then basically I finished my undergrad and then, yeah, I don't even think I graduated. I basically just went straight there and yeah, just bought a plane ticket and knew absolutely nobody and headed out to go and live in Tokyo. Luke, tell us about your first moments kind of landing at the airport, how you felt and what were you thinking Did you at any point just want to go back home? I'm kind of like an idiot about a lot of things in life, as in I'm not very aware of how things are going to be. So I kind of thought it would be really easy. And then when I was at the airport saying goodbye to my family, it like suddenly all hit me, like just like walking away from them and being like, wow, like I'm really going to the other side of the world. And I know like zero people and Yeah, it was like in the airport, it really hit me and it was like big. Like I nearly turned around and went back with my family because it was just so scary. And then, yeah, once I got, I'd gone, it was still scary. But that was like the moment for me where I was like, I feel like really small, really young, really not ready for this. Once I got there, it was, it was kind of like, a determination to try and like it was really hard but at the same time I was sort of prepared for that like I knew it was going to be hard and I didn't I didn't know how hard and I didn't know like the crazy things I would struggle with like things I never thought I would struggle with Um, but I was like really determined to try and probably my biggest worry when I was first going over was like would I find people people I could connect with and socialize with and spend time with. There are more than 2.3 million immigrants living in Japan. According to the Japanese Minister for Justice, this number of foreign residents continues to increase steadily. For me, like, the first two or three months was very uneasy, but you're also kind of distracted by this new world. So you're like, you're lonely in some ways, but... It's, it's hard to be too lonely where like every time you walk down the street, you're seeing like dogs dressed up like people and like people with crazy colored eye contacts and like weird, strange fashion. Um, so, yeah, that kind of distracted me. And then after that kind of two or three months, I, I knew some people and then I felt a lot more comfortable. Japan is a product of centuries of immigration and foreign influence. It is the home to hundreds of local dialects and festivals. 
Japan's diversity is supported by a remarkable acceptance of eccentrics and curiosities about foreign things. People are okay with being different or being looked at as the odd one out. No one bats an eye to gender blending or cross-dressing. Foreigners are often treated with respect and curiosity. <laughs> so, something that's really funny um, in Japan is that people are uh, even less direct than British people. So British people have a reputation for being like really polite and not saying what they mean. And Japanese people are, are like that, but even more extreme. Um, so initially working with my boss, you know, every bit of work I, I did, she was like, you know, this is good. This is okay. After a few weeks, someone like told me like, by the way and this was a German guy so he knew you know I, I wasn't really I wasn't Japanese so I didn't understand the culture and he said like by the way someone saying this is okay is the worst thing they can say about your work like no one will ever tell you your work is bad they'll only say it's okay and yeah having that thing of realizing you're hearing people's words but you're not understanding what they're they're saying challenge when you come here is making sure you're not breaking the, the social rules so you know like how to use an onsen how you take off your shoes at the genkan how low should you bow when should you apologize especially when you deal with the language the level of honorifics you should use should you use keigo should you you know be more humble there's a lot more social rules in japan japan's approach to immigration is a manifestation of its strong sense of national identity being Japanese goes beyond the culture or language, which, by the way, is difficult to learn. It's demonstrated by the way people talk, the way they dispose of garbage, the way they eat rice, and, of course, in simple things like the way they say hello. I can, I can think of one very easily where I felt really out of place and everyone else felt normal, um, which was two weeks after I started work, um, they, my workmates invited me to go to the Japanese baths and this is like a, a big cultural thing in Japan. They have lots of volcanic hot springs and there's loads of really cool bathhouses. So there'll be like a traditional Japanese house with paper doors. And then kind of you go in through the house, you get changed. And then it's like, it's often kind of like a cave. There's like these big rocks and these pools and then this hot water coming out the ground naturally. And you go and like soak in there and it's really, really relaxing. Um, but the weird thing for me was, everyone's completely naked and what? <laughs> like this, this was two weeks into starting my job and I got invited and I kind of didn't know and then suddenly all these people I'd just met like we were all naked together in this hot like cave pool and I was just like what is going on like how am I here I'm really like I feel like oh you shouldn't be naked in front of people and that was something I really took from Japan as a really positive thing was like learning you can be naked and if everyone's naked, no one's kind of exposed in a way. And it's right. fine. Like, you don't die. Like nothing terrible happens. You're just naked in the same place. You have bodies and then you put your clothes back on. Japan is one of the largest economies in the world with an ultra modern and traditional society. It has an incredibly rich culture, delicious foods, and a highway that supposedly goes through a building. They have a deep affection for nature and a love for cars, if you get my drift.
It is a fascinating place with everything from cuddle cafes and penis festivals. In fact, in Japan, you find high-tech musical toilets that can automatically warm the seat for you and play music to drown any unwanted noises you might be making in the toilet. I think something I really liked about uh, Japanese culture was that they have a completely different aesthetic um, in how they design things. So, you know, I come from Europe and buildings in France and Spain, they look a bit like buildings in the UK because they all have this kind of long shared history of people going different places, invading each other. And Japan is just like a completely different world. So you have these big temples. So instead of an ancient Christian church, you might have like an ancient Buddhist temple that's a thousand years old and just completely different, like almost like an alien building. Um, so that I really enjoyed learning about and found a lot of beauty. And also just how this is like the other side of being polite. So the downside is you don't know um, what people are saying some of the time, but also just people being so helpful. So sometimes you'd ask someone where the train station was and they'd say like, oh, I'm going there anyway, I'll take you. And then that you'd see they're walking one way and then after they talk to you, they just turn around and then like walk you a mile to the station and then go back the way they were going. So they weren't going to the station at all. They're just like keen to help you out. It's very easy to get something wrong in the Japanese culture and many people often do. In fact, although they can be polite, they do agree foreigners might not all be equipped to understand it. We'll take a short break right now, but when we come back, let's find out how it is culturally dating in Japan. Parfait Blooms is a London-based home for lovers of life's little luxuries. We provide beautiful bouquet designs bearing African names with meanings in celebration of our founder and her friends and family's heritage. We also provide intentional, highly curated gift options Find us at AveBlooms.com today. Your attention, please. Please do not smoke in the terminal. Moving to a new country can be so exciting. And then that is quickly replaced by anxiety, confusion and sometimes doubt. Hi, my name is Myra Nubi and welcome to Almost Diaspora. Here, I look at the lives of people who are or have lived in the diaspora. The good, the weird, the ugly. I'm a Kenyan living in the UK and I'm excited to take you all around the world and explore some crazy truths about living in another country. Catch me every Friday with a new episode and follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Almost Diaspora. Go ahead and send us an email with your questions or suggestions on the email almostdiaspora at gmail.com. So get this, the greater the cultural distance, the higher the probability of a cultural shift. 
Moving to a different country often means having to face different new circumstances and uncertainties. Often the process of trying to adjust can have far-reaching effects on individuals. It can make you question everything, including your experiences, achievements, and your personal and cultural beliefs and values. I'm really interested to hear how you navigated a different language. Tell us about that and kind of the language barrier and how it can sometimes also be intertwined with the culture. So I had about three months before where I I knew I was going. Um, And in that time, I really tried to get at least the basics. And the other big thing was there's three systems of writing in Japan and two of them are like the alphabet. So there's like 26 characters so I, I learned those two alphabets. And then the third one is like Chinese characters. So there's thousands and thousands of symbols. Um, so I, I gave up on that and I just focused on learning the, the two alphabets and trying to get the basics. And then I was really lucky when I was out there. We actually had at our work, there was like a, a workplace English uh, Japanese lesson. So they actually paid a teacher and there was like a group of us who'd go down and speak really bad Japanese. And yeah, that helped a lot. And then just picking it up, speaking to Japanese friends. Luke, can you give us any example of when cultures completely clashed? Something that you may have done or said that was different to the Japanese culture? One, uh, you bow instead of doing handshakes. And handshakes will be seen as like, very forward going to physical contact suddenly with someone you don't know um so bowing instead of shaking hands another thing is whenever you give or receive something so whether that's like a gift or a drink or a pepper grinder you have to do it with two hands and either giving it or receiving it with one hand is an affront um so that was something yeah i had to learn and didn't come naturally because often it's like you bump into someone you have something you want to give them and just without thinking you hand it over then you realize you've offended them a bit again when I was um, learning my language before I went to Japan I was also trying to learn to use chopsticks Um, and chopsticks are okay for some foods but really hard for rice and rice is a really common food in Japan And another thing I learned when you're there is that it's considered rude if you leave one grain of rice in your bowl, like you have to eat every grain of rice. So I'd go for lunch at the work canteen and I'd be getting near the end of my bowl of rice and I'd have like 15 bits of rice spread over this bowl. And then I'd have to try and pick them all individually with the chopsticks. And the Japanese people, it takes them no time. They're just like, bop, 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 bop. But for me, I was just like chasing these grains of rice around for like 10 or 20 minutes because I knew I had to finish, but I was rubbish at chopsticks. Yeah. And how how are you now? I was good. I'm now like rusty, but, you know, better than a, a standard UK person. Right. Another thing that was really, really strange to me is that there's a there's a rule in Japan that like when you're drunk, essentially whatever you do or say you're not really held responsible for it I mean I guess you probably are to some extent but so if someone makes a fool of themselves the night before like gets really drunk and then has an argument with their boss at work the next day 
their boss won't like be angry with them and no one will comment on the fact that this person had a big argument with their boss while drunk. It's like, it literally didn't happen and you shouldn't bring it up. Um, so that's something I learned the hard way, like bringing, a, up, yeah, bringing up my friend doing something. And then everyone looked at me like, what are you saying? You can't say this. And I just, di I just didn't understand at all. Let's find out how culture can affect dating in a different place. Yeah, Japan, I, I don't think I ever really got dating in Japan, as in, I don't think I ever understood how it works and, and what the norms are. So I did go on a date and it was fine. But afterwards, I had this strange feeling of like, I don't know whether that went well or not. Um, <laughs> like, honestly, like, it's just hard to tell. Because... I guess we, we can tell now because... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not with that person, so I yeah. guess it didn't, go, it didn't go that great. But I think it goes back to the the politeness thing. So, if people are always kind of nice and smiling and don't really refuse anything, you you don't really know what they want. And so, if you just have like a nice conversation with someone, and then you go your separate ways, you're like, did they hate me? Or did they love me? And how would I tell the difference? So how can people sort of work towards getting comfortable with a different culture? Definitely going for, for drinks on a Friday night. That was like our, our routine from the office. So everyone would leave the lab and be really tired after a long week. And then we'd go to this like tiny little fish bar that was like, it was like a place for drinking beer and then you could get these like really hot sizzling fish dishes. Um, and there was loads of stuff I hadn't tried there. And that obviously meant when you were sitting with people, if there was like a fish from their hometown or their home island, they'd really want you, you, know, you to try that and kind of talk to you about that because um, it was something that connected with them. And yeah, I had a lot of really good nights in that place. It was like, it was kind of like a, a bunk bed bar. So there was like, the ground floor and it was like tiny like maybe three meters by three meters including the bar and then you're kind of, you have to sit down because there's like another floor crammed just above your head with a ladder up to it and then everyone sits on the top floor like cross-legged on cushions and you can like see everyone below you um so yeah that was a great place to uh to make friends with people and even if your, your Japanese is really bad. If you start a sentence or a conversation in Japanese, you'll be treated very differently than if you, you know, just speak English. So if you try and make an effort, even if you fail, like people will be uh, more helpful and kind of appreciate the fact that you're, you're trying to communicate in their language. Um, so that's really useful. And as well as that, I would say, if you're into any kind of Japanese related culture. So, you know, I wasn't really into Japanese cartoons that much or manga or anime, um, but loads of uh, Westerners you meet in Japan, they're kind of there because they fell in love with Japanese cartoons and then they like, they had to visit. So they kind of got into Japan culture first. And then that means when they go there, they have all these things to talk about with Japanese people, there's like cartoon conventions and all these events that people go to and connect over art, basically. 
Native populations sometimes, indirectly or directly, can impose integration on their culture to some immigrants, and often many are caught between two worlds. Now, Luke spent a lot of time in Japan, and within that time, he fell in love with the people and he fell in love with the culture. But what he didn't realize is how difficult it is to acclimatize when you go back home. For me, that was actually harder than going to Japan.、Um, because going to Japan, I knew it was an adventure and I knew everything would be new and I'd be out of my comfort zone. And, and it was that. Like it was what I expected. It was, you know, you don't know what to expect, but you expect not to know what to expect. But then coming home, I thought everything would be familiar and everything would be like I left it. And then you come home and you realize that you've actually got used to some things from Japan. So you're expecting this comforting feeling, but then some things actually feel strange to you. And The sensation of being home, but then having some things feel strange was really unsettling to me. And yeah, it, it took a few months to kind of get past that. And yeah, it wasn't something I expected at all. You say goodbye to your friends and you keep in contact a bit electronically, but it's not the same as being there. So you come back a year later and everyone has new stories, new memories, and you're not really a part of that. When I started, I did mention that we met Luke in Kenya and he had lived there for a while. We're looking forward to doing another episode with him where he explains how he ended up in Kenya and how he met the love of his life from a completely different culture. It's great to be on your podcast, Myra. I'm、Yay. excited for、yes. you to be using your microphone again. I know. <laughs> I was just sharing with Luke that my microphone has probably been on lockdown longer than I have, but that won't be so. Thank you so much for、uh, being part of this episode, Luke. And for anyone else who's listening in, in case you have something that you'd like us to cover or you want to ask Luke some questions, stick around. I'll let you know how to do that. And keep listening to the next episodes. These are the points to take home from this podcast. One, keep an open mind. You never know when you'll find yourself in a room with naked men. Two, it never hurts to do some research. There are so many apps and books and videos and vlogs where you can get more information. Try as much as possible to meet different people and put yourself out there. Learn their culture as you share yours. And of course, keep listening to this podcast. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to contribute in any way, go ahead and send an email to almostdiaspora at gmail.com.